Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the All Hoops Podcast. I'm Stephen Inman, and I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Chris Brito. It's Rookie Extension Day in the NBA, and we already have some news to talk about with notable guys like Buddy Heald and Jalen Brown agreeing to long-term deals with the Kings and Celtics. Chris and I will also talk our picks and predictions for all the big award races and the upcoming NBA schedule. Before we get to all that, Chris, my friend, how are you? Doing great, Stevie. We're finally here. We're finally on the first week of NBA basketball. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to get through it and talk about all these extensions. Um, but can we just take a moment and realize that after today, the rest of the season is going to be a roller coaster. But I am all here for it. Um, all right. You know, as you mentioned a few, few seconds ago, there were a, a bunch of extensions today. Um, I think Buddy Heel is probably the highlight of, of today. He just, you know, he'll just signed like a four-year deal that could reach it to $106 million. Um, but the deal for right now is $94 million. Um, you know, after all his talk last week about, you know, you know, visibly upset about getting lowballed, he signs this offer, which was slightly more than what he expected. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, Chris, I love this deal for the Kings. They get an elite shooter, a guy who keeps getting better every year, a guy who wanted to be in Sacramento, who fits really well with their current personnel, namely De'Aaron Fox. I think it's a great deal. They didn't overpay. At the same time, they didn't upset him. I think this makes too much sense. It's a deal that, um, you know, it'll keep him motivated in terms of, you know, incentives. And also it's front-loaded, Chris, which means that by the time it's time for the Kings to pay De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley, that Heels' money will be going decreasing in value. So it makes all the sense in the world. It allows them to keep this entire core here for the next five, six, seven years. And it, it makes all the sense in the world. Right. And like the most important thing is that the team can now just focus on basketball, right? I think if you had that drama heading to the season, it'll be the same trap ball that many other teams have done. So with their pending, like, superstar players who, you know, would hit free agency the, the summer afterwards. And it's a good thing that they got to figure out with Heald because it's, for a second, it seemed like he was going to be a disgruntled player for the Kings. You know, it could have derailed their playoff dreams and, and who knows what else, but now they can just focus on gelling, make, on gelling the team and, and going forward and, and, you know, hopefully making a run uh, for the playoffs this year. You know, they're more than capable. They have the talent. You know, they have a good enough roster and depth. Um, who knows? They may replace like a team like the like the Warriors in in the comp in in the playoffs. Who knows? I really like the Kings. I think they have a really bright future. I'm not ready to say they're going to replace the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs yet, Chris. But this is certainly a step in the right direction for the franchise. For sure. Um, there were a few other deals. You know, Sabonis got a got an extension. Pascal Siakam got a 130 million dollar extension. Um, you know, Jalen Brown got an $115 million extension, too. Um, which of these deals do you hate the most? Um, and which one do you love the most? Well, I don't know if I really hate any of these deals, Chris. I think the Celtics overpaid Jalen Brown. But, you know, oh, you, never, sure. you never know. All of a sudden, if he averages, you know, 20 a game, and they have to just pay him anyway. So 
I think they probably rushed this. They overpaid a little bit, but coming off the chemistry problems they've had the last, you know, year plus, I would think this kind of helps solve that to a degree, especially for a guy, you know, is going to be a third or fourth option on this team. Instead of him trying to focus on just putting up numbers, he can focus on team basketball. I think that makes sense. I, I would not have done that deal, but I get why they did. I think uh, Pascal Siakam with the Max with Toronto was a no-brainer. After the year he had and now with no Kawhi, it's going to be more or less his team with Lowry probably getting traded sometime within the next year or two. I would think that makes more sense. And then the Sabonis one, kind of, I was scratching my head a little bit because it's been pretty clear the last couple of years that he and Miles Turner don't really fit together. And, you know, what's going to happen with those two? You know, they locked up Turner last year on a four-year $72 million deal. And, you know, he played well, but I don't really know how he and Sabonis are going to be able to play together. Now they give Sabonis about $20 million a year or slightly under that. Does this make one of them more tradable? on a, a very reasonable contract going forward, I wonder. But um, I'm very fascinated to see how that goes. And then DeJounte Murray also was kind of a head-scratcher to me. You know, a guy who missed all of last year, a career six-point scorer. Um, you know, he's just 22 years old, and they gave him four years, $64 million with the Spurs. But then again, Greg Popovich and the Spurs organization don't really get too much wrong. So I would think they know something that we don't. They've probably seen him in his rehab there. You know, they've been raving about him for – a year and a half now. So if he's good to go with Derek white, that could be a really fun backcourt. So I, I don't really hate any of these deals. I think they're all just very interesting. Um, I really like the Sabonis deal and I'll tell you why, you know, he's basically, he's 23 years old. He's he, he averaged 14.1 points per game and 9.3 rebounds. And he's one of those guys who, who can basically average double, double for you. You know what you're getting from him. Miles Turner for me has been, much of a whirlwind for the past two seasons. Um, I really like what Sabonis brings to this team, even though he's another front court player in a league that has been dominated by, by guards and wings. Um, yeah, I, I like Sabonis. I'm a big fan of his. Um, it remains to be seen how he fits with Miles Turner in the long run. But good thing it's not for us to figure out. Uh, but regardless, with this makeup, with the current roster, they were a top four team this last year, and I expect them to be a top four team, even as uh, Victor Oladipo's on the mend. Um, and in regards to to, to Jonte Murray, um, he's one of those guys, right? Like he he could he could have a breakout year this year. You know he he could be he could be he's he's reportedly healthy now. Um, he's he's going to be the starter for for the Spurs, I believe. Um, Looks like and it. He he just had a tantalizing. He has this tantalizing defensive potential. You saw him walk up James Harden in the preseason. Like that's the type of intensity this guy can bring. He can lock up the world. He can lock up one of the world's best offensive players. And I think that's a potential that doesn't, you know, escape from the minds of Spurs, the Spurs organization. Um, and they have high hopes that he could become a good shooter too, Chris. Yeah, and he's young, and you know, the sky's the limit for him. Like many of these other players, um, as you said, the Jalen Brown deal for me is a head scratcher because there's so much to him in terms of what he has to prove. You know, he hasn't really solidified himself after his, I think, what his sophomore campaign when the Celtics got up all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, and he played a big role in like 
almost defeating the Cavaliers. Um, I I don't I don't see it. This guy doesn't really make he, he can't get his own shot. He shoots a decent three point percentage. I'll give him that much, and he's a good defender. Um, but aside from that, I'm not sure what else he brings to the table. But maybe you know what you know the Celtics feel good enough about this deal to give him that much of an extension. So I guess we'll see. You know, Chris, this kind of reminds me a little bit what the Thunder went through with James Harden. And it seems almost like Harden was the third or fourth guy on that team. You liked what he brought to the table. He made the team better. But why would you give him max money when he's going to always be the third or fourth guy on the team? So that's kind of what the Celtics were like with Jalen Brown. And imagine all of a sudden they said, you know what? We don't think he's worth $100 million. We're going to go trade him somewhere else. And he goes become a big star in Charlotte or Atlanta or, or somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of like, you know, you really could have used, you really could have used another scoring punch from Jalen Brown. So, look, I don't think he's going to become James Harden by any stretch, but I don't really see the harm in giving him this money because of the fact that he does help the team. It's not going to go to waste. And, you know, you could always move one of these guys at some point, you know, and with Gordon Hayward coming off the book sooner rather than later, you know, you'll be able to, you know, slot him into that starting shooting guard spot and give him, you know, 35 minutes a game. So I don't think it's a perfect fit. It's a questionable decision. I question them doing it right now, but, you know, it could be worse. I, yeah, they would have been much better served just letting him play out this year and seeing what they have and even seeing what the, the market would be like. But I guess they're banking on him having a, a breakout season this year. Otherwise, I don't really understand the extension right now. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to our award predictions, Chris. Uh, some really fun stuff ahead. MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. Let's start with MVP. I want to start with Stephen Curry. I think he's going to win his third MVP this year, Chris. I think with no Durant, no Clay Thompson, he's going to remind the world that, you know, he's one of the better basketball players there are. I think he's going to average over 30 points a game. I think he is going to will the Warriors into a top four or five seed. And look, if he out, you know, he's going to set, maybe he'll set another record for most threes in a season. And I, I thought he would have won more MVPs during his run until all of a sudden Durant showed up and, you know, him and Curry started splitting the votes. So I think now it's just Stephen Curry there. And I think he will get the MVP. Um, I'm going to go with Jokic. Um, he will be part of the Denver Nuggets team that I believe will be the first or second best team in the, in the West. Um, part of part of my thinking is that if Utah wins, there's no clear individual player that will be an MVP consideration. But I think Jokic will, um, will you know, the MVP here. I mean, he was in the running last year. Um, he was forgotten about because you know, Giannis and Harden dominated the conversation. But the Nuggets were right up there. Uh, when they were – Nuggets were playing well. So I, I'm, I'm going to bank on Jokic on this one. Um, my, my concern, Chris, with Jokic is kind of different for guards. But as a big man, can you really win MVP if you don't really play much defense? I mean, Harden won it. I think it's different for guards. But, like, as a big man, you're kind of required to, you know, protect the paint. You're supposed to be blocking shots. And, you know, he does that sometimes. But I feel like as a big man, that's more what, you know, the voters are looking for, if that makes sense. I mean, 
those are certainly things in the consideration, but I think that if I think if the Nuggets are one of the top two, top three teams in the NBA and the West, which were probably the same thing anyway, um, I think more consideration will be given to the fact that the best player um, has been leading the way for this team to be one of the you know premier teams, and that will be swaying in his favor for the MVP race. You know, I can't I can't feasibly give this award to Steph Curry on an eighth seeded Warriors team despite him shooting. You, you really know, think they're gonna be an eighth seed with Curry and Draymond you, and D'Angelo Russell? I'm telling you, man, that team has no depth. They're gonna suffer a lot defensively. The only way they're gonna win is if they outscore every single team, every single Why night. can't they you do know? that? And like listen, like if but why can't they do that? Wait, hold on, hold on. They certainly could, but listen to my reasoning. They've gone to the finals five straight years. They lose out on Kevin Durant and um, and Clay Thompson for this season. Who knows when Clay Thompson comes back? You know, that's an it's, he had an ACL tear, right? If I'm if I'm not, if I'm correct, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, they say he'll be back after the All Star break. But what if the Warriors aren't doing well? What if they're like a borderline playoff team? Do you think Clay comes back for a team like that? No, you're. I think if they're a borderline playoff team, they're going to definitely want him back. You're, you're no, you're, you're probably going to want him to rest out, and then they'll see what they have um, next year. Because I, I think it's irresponsible to. to if they're a borderline him. playoff team, they're not going to try to bring him back. I don't think so. I mean, they're not going to win. You're not going to win the the NBA championship, even if Clay comes back. You're not. Why? Why could they? Listen, listen. This team doesn't have any depth. <laughs> you know it. Yeah, I mean, but they're things not, can change, not, Chris. Not, All of a sudden, you know, they can not, get into that buyout market. They can go sign two or three guys. They're not. You, but you've seen that, that before with them. That's that's not feasible though. They don't have a lot of money either. Yeah, but like the buyout market is not a place where you're going to be spending tens and twenties of millions of dollars. You're talking about getting guys but, on but bad even, teams and just help, helping them plug in spots. All right, but even so. In the meantime, the team doesn't have enough depth. I can't emphasize that enough. You lose Iguodala. You, there's not enough defensive players on that team. You know, I think that matters too. Defense is part of the game, believe it or not. No, I, I agree. I'm and, just saying and, I don't think this team is a finished thing, product. And the other underlying thing, and you know, you know, they talked about it on the Bill Simmons podcast too, where like, you know. The Warriors medical staff just came off a huge hit to their PR because they let Kevin Durant play and look at him. He got injured in, in what game was it game three of the NBA finals? Like that it was, uh, I believe it was game five. Okay. Game five of the NBA finals. But look at that. Like that, that's not a good look. They have to make sure that Clay Thompson is absolutely a hundred percent healthy. Otherwise they're not going to rush him back. And this is an ACL tear. He had the ACL tear in June. You need at least a year to prop. I mean, I'm not a medical expert either, but you know, look at look at Chris Tapp's Porzingis. It took him a year and a half. So I don't think the Warriors are in the, are, are in a place to be rushing any player after what happened with Kevin Durant. Frankly, I mean, it seems fair. I get what you're saying. Um, they projected somewhere after the All Star break. We don't know for sure, but I still think with Curry and Draymond and, you know, D'Angelo Russell, you know, you're talking about three all-stars on this team. All and right. Again, but you know what? I, I don't think they're a finished product. You know, I don't. They, 
I don't think they're a finished product either. I'm just trying to say that, like, there's no incentive to rushing Clay Thompson just to make the playoffs another year. Whereas you can have him healthy. I mean, hold on. There's no, there's no point in bringing back Clay if they're going to be a first or second round exit. You know. Well, that's the thing about the West this year, Chris. I don't know if you could te- if just because they finish as the eight seed or the seven seed, I don't think, which I don't think they will. But I don't think that means necessarily they're a first or second round team. You know, I think the West one through seven, one through eight could probably all go to the finals. I really do. You know, guys I mean, get hot, guys I get injured. I, I think it I all dis- could change so much this year for the first time in a long time. I don't disagree with that. And I think that's part of why the reason why this, this year in particular is so exciting because literally anybody has a shot. Yeah. Except well, for the uh, <laughs> As always, except for the Knicks. Well said, though. Uh, let's okay. do Rookie of the Year. Um, you yeah. and I both were very high on Zion Williamson, who unfortunately is going to be out six to eight weeks for surgery on a meniscus tear. And, you know, that's a very serious injury in your knee, Chris. And I'm not going to say for sure that he's back in six to eight weeks, which kind of stinks for me because I had tickets to go to him playing the Heat on November 16th, which now oh, he gosh. won't be there for. Yeah. Um, it obviously wrecks the Pelicans over under at 39 and a half. That was already taken down. I'm assuming that's going to go down to 35, let's say, 34, 35. And uh, you and I both now are not picking Williamson to win rookie of the year, who do you got? I have John Morant. I think he's going to have all the opportunities in the world to prove that he's a starting caliber point guard. He has uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. on the team. Um, he has he has he has everything at his disposal to be one of the top rookies this year. He's going to have he has the most important um, category in this, which will probably, he'll he'll have like tons of minutes to play, and I think that is going to be very indicative of like what type of player he'll become and like you know pretty much put him in the driver's seat for that award um so you know i think john i'm, I'm i have high expectations for john Morant. i think he's going to take the rookie of the year award this year chris are you ready for this yeah go for it Who do rj you barrett is going to win rookie of the year the new york knicks are back chris i'm telling you rj barrett has looked very solid this this uh, he has this preseason, you know, he reminds me, I've been saying it for about a year now, but he reminds me a little bit of a young DeMar DeRozan and, you know, his ability to go to the hoop, take contact. He's initiated a lot of contact. It just shows how strong he is. And uh, look, David Fisdale is playing, you know, everyone is basically competing for jobs on this team, except for two guys, you know, Julius Randle, who got all this big money and RJ Barrett. And yeah. Barrett's averaging, you know, you go 35 minutes a game, 37 minutes a game, 39 minutes a game. In the preseason, Chris, he's going to be one of the top leaders in minutes played of the All-NBA, not just for rookies. And, you know, yes, talent's so important for this award, but opportunity is almost as equal important. And I really believe RJ is going to be playing at least 35 minutes a game most nights. I think his shot selection is going to be the biggest of importance here. You know, if he can learn how to take good shots and shoot above 45%, I think he can win this award, which I'm going to say he will. And the Knicks have a building block for now and going forward. I'm okay with that. I agree with that. Um, RJ would have been my my second pick also. Um, and Jaws my second pick. So I think we're both on the same page here. Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for you to win too. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's head over to Defensive Player of the Year. Um, we had, we have two very similar 
picks in this one. Two very injured players or oft injured players. Um, I picked Joel Embiid. I think he's one of those guys who, who completely changes the game defensively when he's in the game. He'll block your shot. He'll intimidate you with, or he'll just intimidate you with his mouth running alone. And Embiid is such an integral part of that defense and team as a whole that will be, I think, when the season's all said and done, even though he misses, you know, 60 to, you know, he misses uh, 15 to 20 games this year, it won't matter because, you know, the Sixers, I believe, will be the best team in the East. And they will probably be one of the better defensive rated teams also. And I think that will be in large part to Embiid. And granted, and Al Horford too, but the the I think the greatness in signing Horford is that it allows Embiid to probably play, play less minutes and it allows him to be fresher and hopefully healthier. And I think that will be really important if this team wants to go far. Chris, I think the Embiid out Horford mix is going to be one of the more fascinating things of the regular season for sure. How do those two guys play together? Remember, you know, Horford was kind of almost the Embiid stopper in Boston, you know, being able to stop him on the block and, you know, really make him have inefficient games. Now they're on the same team. I'm really fascinated to see how that's going to work. Uh, like you said, we have similar guys in that they're both kind of injury prone, but I'm going to take Kawhi Leonard. And I think, you know, the way he played defense, you know, down the stretch and into the playoffs, if he's healthy, he's probably the best defender in the game, Chris. I really believe so. He's a two-way guy. You know, normally you don't see too many non-offensive stars win this award. Um, the one guy the last couple of years who has been winning this award is Rudy Gobert. And the reason why I think Kawhi or Embiid could win this award is because two years ago, Rudy Gobert played in just 56 games and still won the award. So this is not one where you need to play 80, 82 games to get, to get defensive player of the year. You could play 65 games, 60, 65 games, and still get, get this award. So I believe Kawhi, as one of the better defenders in the league, I think he's going to wind up playing 65 games. I think he's going to lead the Clippers to a one or two seed and show that he is one of the premier defenders in this game and win defensive player of the year. Yeah, uh, I could see that too, frankly. Um, yeah, I mean, and he's going to be—he's probably going to be part of the one of the, the better defensive teams in the West. So I can see that happening too. Let's get to uh, most improved, Chris. This is one of my favorite awards. You know, really helps. You know, the the, the guys who are not the premier, not top five players in the game, but they're really improved guys. Guys you would want to build a team around mostly because they're usually younger guys. Uh, for me, it's Trey Young. I was trying to decide between him and De'Aaron Fox, but. Trey Young to me really, you know, he came up and he was, you know, firing all these shots and he was a guy who looked like a guy you want to build your team around, but he was very inefficient on a bad Hawks team. And then all of a sudden the Hawks mostly led by him caught fire in the second half. He averaged almost 25 points a game over nine assists, over 44% from the field after the all-star break. And he looked like he was a different player, a more efficient player, Chris. And if he's a, you know, going to be able to shoot 45% from the floor and average 25 a game, to me, most improved is his to lose. Um, I, 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 can see, I can totally see Trey doing that. Um, I think he'll be in a similar dilemma like the guy I'm picking. I'm picking Luka Doncic. Um, both guys who, you know, you know, 
excelled last year after like in the second part of the season. I mean, Luca eventually won the rookie of the year, but like, um, you know, those, these are two guys who clearly were like the, the two of the best players in their draft last year. Um, so I think Luca will actually be even better this year. Um, so much so that he's going to probably make his first all-star game. Um, he already averaged over, you know, 20 points, you know, um, seven rebounds, six assists. I think he's going to have even more assists because now he has Chris Saps-Porzingis on his team. Um, he'll probably even make more, re- get more rebounds. Um, you know, I could, I could see him improving across the board. I think he'll be the unquestioned leader of this team. And with so many options around him, I, I see him even having a, a, even more of a breakout season this year. Yeah, I think the Mavs are going to be one of those sneaky good teams and uh, with a lot of cap space going forward because they don't have to pay Luka for a while. So this is another, another team that over the next couple of years could add another star to go with Chris Stapps and Luka. Uh, let's get the coach of the year, Chris. I think it's been a while since Doc Rivers won in one of these and they're going to have defensive player of the year in Kawhi. I think people are going to give him credit for how the team plays without Paul George, who should be back sometime in November. So yes, they're a star team, Chris, but I think with the load management they're going to handle with Kawhi and George not playing a full season, I think they're going to say that a Clipper team that did all that with, and finished with a, you know, within the first two seeds, I think they're going to give the award to Doc Rivers. Um, I'm going to go with Quinn Snyder. I'm going to go with the theme that I've been going up with my whole you know, preseason selection process in terms of who I think of the best teams in the in the Western Conference. I'm going to go with the Utah Jazz. So that usually the best team has the best coach. And in this case, I'm going to go with Quinn Snyder. I think he he he's been he's been uh, he's been one of those names tossed around as just like a great X's and O's guy and makes great adjustments in the game and stuff like that. And I think this will be the year he finally gets recognized for what he does on does in coaching. So he'll be the winner in my book. Well said, Chris. Let's get to our final segment before final thoughts. Oh and wait, 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 wait. What's your who's your surprise team, real quick? My surprise team. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Kings. I okay. oh, I guess we missed this one. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Kings here, Chris. I think uh, De'Aaron Fox is gonna take another step forward. I was tempted to take him as most improved over Trey Young. They have Buddy Heald now happy. He averaged over 20 a game last year, and I think he's going to take another step forward. I think Marvin Bagley, after some injuries in the first half, really showed that he can actually play. Yes, they probably should have taken Luka Doncic second overall, but they didn't, and I think Bagley is still a very good player. I think he improves. They have a very competent center in Dwayne Dedman, and I think Harrison Barnes should be a little better, you know, learning his role in Sacramento after coming over to trade for Dallas. So I'm going to say the Kings are a surprise team. And, you know, with, with New Orleans kind of taking a step back today with, with uh, Zion out, I think there's a playoff spot there to gain. I think it's the Kings and the Mavs to lose. Yeah, speaking of the Mavericks, I, you know, I've said it all along. I think the Mavericks will be the surprise team in the West. They're going to be a, they're going to be a playoff team this year. So you're going to have a monster season from Chris Tapps and Luka. And former, former, the other former Nick, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., I think he's going to have a good year too. Um, they, they've and, been very happy with him. They've been talking about how important he's going to yeah. be to the offense, and it seems like he's finally it's, healthy for the first time in a while. It's just all these little things that are coming together, and you know, Rick Carlisle will always get the most out of his players. And um, I see it. I think they're a playoff team. I, they have the talent for it. Why not? Um, 
make do the most you can with it. They're going to make the playoffs. I'm betting it on right now. Here we go. I'm going to hold you to that one, Chris. All right, let's get to our final segment before final thoughts. We do some rapid fire questions here about the NBA Week One schedule and ask quick couple questions about each game this week. Let's start with the first game of the NBA season: New Orleans versus Toronto. Chris, yes, it's the first game of the NBA season, but do we care about this game with no Zion? Um, <laughs> I think I, I'm going to say, uh, you know what? Yes, um, I'm still curious to see what the hor- the the Pelicans look like. Um, I know it's not the same without Zion, but I still think it'll be one of the more interesting teams in the NBA, especially with Lonzo Ball uh, and the other Laker guys they have there now. So I, I want to see how that group looks like on the court tomorrow. Yeah, Chris, I'm with you here. Look, it's no, no, there's no Zion, but it's the first game of the NBA season, Chris. I don't care if the first game is Hornets-Pistons. I want to see NBA action that counts. I want to see stats that count, fantasy stats that count, stuff that we can talk about. So I'm totally on board here. Let's get to Lakers-Clippers, the second game of the uh, doubleheader. Who does this win mean more for, the Lakers or the Clippers? Um, I'm going to go with the Clippers only because, you know, it, it, it appears to me that they've built this campaign to take over Los Angeles from the Lakers. And we all know that the L.A. belongs to the Lakers. I think starting off on the right foot and beating the Lakers and getting that first win, will resonate for weeks until they play again. Uh, I think they play again at Christmas, if I'm not mistaken. Um, imagine that having bragging rights for the next few months. That'll go, that'll go a long way, I think. So I think it means more for the Clippers, frankly. Yeah, Chris, I think, I think that was very well said, but I think it's more for the Lakers. I think with the way they've been already criticized for the way they built this roster, there's not a lot of depth here. Kyle Kuzma is already hurt, and... You know, I think for them to lose a big game like this, the first game of the season in their own city, I think they'd get, you know, killed in the media for it. And I think after the way things went last year, they really needed to get off to a good start. So I'm going to say the Lakers. All right. Um, so our, our Knicks don't play till Wednesday night. Um, I believe at 830 um, in San Antonio. Um this is the home open for both is the opener for both teams, but this is also known Marcus Morris game after um, Morris decided to sign with the Knicks after the Spurs gave him an offer. Um, what do you, what do you, what, what are your, what do you feel about this game? Do you think that that narrative matters at all? Really? Chris, I think this Marcus Morris situation is interesting you know, he signs a two-year, $20 million deal reportedly with the San Antonio Spurs. And then all of a sudden, he wants reneging on the deal. He signs a one-year deal for we're about $15 million with the Knicks. The Spurs are upset. They believe the Knicks tampered. And the Knicks' response is basically, well, you tampered with Chris Dasporzingis when he was under contract. So, like, we don't really care what you think about this. And I find it very interesting, Chris, because the Spurs don't really have a lot of cap room. And so, you know, $10 million a year is a pretty big commitment for them. And Morris would have been a very good fit as a Spur. So I find that, you know, very, very interesting. And a team like the Spurs that are going to be probably on the bubble for the playoffs, you know, they could use every quality player they can get. So apparently Morris is going to be booed every time he touches the ball, which should be a lot as the Knicks likely starting small forward. And uh, that should be very interesting. Yeah. um, 
I just want to see the team out there. I don't really care about the Marcus Morris thing. That's honestly like one of those like nice stories that makes it intriguing. But I'm just excited to see all the, the players, the uh, RJ Barrett get on the floor. I want to see what progress Knox has made, and you know, hopefully DSJ surprises us too because he's he's one of those people we haven't really spoken about because he's been injured this preseason. Um. You know, hopefully surprises. But uh, let's move on to the the other Knicks game. Um, the Knicks play the Nets at the Barclays Center on Friday. Um, what percentage of the crowd do you think will be Knicks fans? Uh, Chris, I'm going to say 70% of the crowds will be Knicks fans. I think after the Kevin Durant stuff and all the talk, basically Knicks fans are going to try to prove to him and the Nets that, hey, this is still a Knicks town. And, you know, people are, you know, you could probably get a cheaper ticket at Barclays than you can at the Garden. So I would think a lot of Knicks fans will want to see their team and save a little money as well. So I would say 70%. Yeah, you know what? I feel like that holds the case for most other games, but not when it comes to the Knicks. I feel like those are usually around the same in terms of market value. But, um, frankly, I think the Nets will, the Nets fans will come out strong. Of course Um, you do. They're (laughs) They're probably, they're probably more willing to shell out the money than Knicks fans right now. So I think that's why. Why, why do you say that? Money. The Knicks sell out every game and they're paying through the notes. They, they, okay, but they, they sell out at the Garden, not at Barclays. You, but, like, the Nets don't really ever sell out, ever. So why would, like, if the Knicks are going to be there, wouldn't Knicks fans be buying tickets? I, I'm, so if you think about the people who are probably Nets fans, they're probably, like, you know, bandwagoners. bandwagoners. So I'm, I'm just going to go with the idea that, like, this will be one of those games that people are still hyped about with the team. It's a new team. They're going to probably buy some early, some of the early tickets. Uh, that's what I think. I'm going to go with 30% Nick fans. 30%. Um, wow. We're very why, off on think this. About it, Steve. Think, Steve, think about it for a second. Why would you want to spend money on a team that isn't, isn't destined to play well this year? This, I this think season? the Knicks are already sold out most of their season tickets. No, no, but we're talking about you want to – I mean, if, if you're going to go We're, pick one game of the year to go to, wouldn't this be the game? It's, it, I, I, I know it's probably not super cheap, but it's right, cheaper fine. than going okay, to the Garden fine. to see the Nets. All right, Steve, fine. To your point, what, did you buy your tickets for the game? No, Chris, I'm very cheap. I'm not buying any tickets for these games, for one. But I would think that there's a plenty of Knicks fans who are willing to do that. And they'll probably find a cheaper ticket, Knicks at Nets, than Nets at Knicks later this season. All right, fine. We'll see. All right, let's move on to the, Celt- Celt- the Celtics at Sixers. Uh, that's Wednesday, um, right? It's Wednesday, right, or Thursday? I believe it's Wednesday. All right. Who does this game mean more to? You know, kind of like the Lakers Clippers, but this is in the East. Who do you think this game probably matters more to? I'm going to say the Sixers, Chris. I think they have higher expectations. I think. There's a, you know, after the way the season ended, there's a lot of pressure on Ben Simmons to kind of come up as a better player. You know, there's, there's not really as much pressure on Embiid because he's already a star, but I would think that they want to see a big game out of him and Al Horford against his old team. So I would say the Sixers. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with the Celtics on this one, mostly because I think they're going to be motivated to shed everything they've had to, with the image um, that has been tarnished of them with the Kyrie Irving thing. 
you know, when he was there, there was like this idea that there was like the team was dysfunctional, all these other things, and like they're going to be in a rush to to prove they're, they're still the premier team in the, in the East. I don't see it, but um, that's what I think right now. Um, let's move on to the Bucks at Rockets. Um, this will be a battle of the two MVP candidates from a year ago. Um, but, you know, the Rockets have Russell Westbrook now and the Bucks um, shipped out. Um, crap, what's his name? He's uh, oh, he's on the Pacers now. But anyways, um, which Brogdon. Team, uh, Brogdon, Malcolm Brogdon. There you go. Uh, which team gets off to a better better start this year? Chris, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the Rockets do. I think they really st- ended the year strong. I think Westbrook and Harden are gonna, you know, gel together pretty solidly. And I think it's more about the Bucks because the Bucks lost Eric Bledsoe to an injury. He's gonna be out a few weeks. Uh, they, you know, they lost Malcolm Brogdon to the Pacers, and now you know George Hill is their starting point guard. I don't know how much left he has in the tank to give them 30 minutes a game and there's nothing really behind him. So, you know, yes, they still have Giannis and Middleton. And I think it's a very good team, but I think the Rockets are going to off to a great start. And I think the Bucks are going to be not, not bad, but I think they're going to, you know, be a little slower to get out of the gate. All right. That makes sense. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, you have to go with the Rockets here. You know, they have a lot more to adjust with um, Russell Westbrook. Um, I think, That'll be a team that'll be, you know, interesting to see the development throughout the year because who will have to cater to who, right? Um, but you know, I see this team doing well anyway. But they they most likely won't off won't be off to a great start. All right, Steve. Let's head over to our final thoughts. We're doing this podcast Monday night, and you know, we're less than twenty four hours away from the first game. Um, how? No, no, there's no Zion for six to eight weeks, and that's part of the premier for the the first matchup tomorrow night. Um, how many wins do you have for the Pelicans now? I'm going to say 32, Chris. I think it's tough when you lose Zion. He's probably going to be out at least six to eight weeks. I mean, this is tear is something that you know could bother him for the entire season, even with the surgery. So I worry about him staying, you know, staying healthy for the duration of the year after his return. So I don't know. I mean, they have a lot of depth, but I'm not sure if they have a lot of front court depth. So I'm going to say uh, 32 wins for the Pelicans. Let's get to uh, a good news story. The Knicks have picked up the player options for the young players, Dennis Smith, Frank Milakina, and Kevin Knox. Seems like kind of more or less no-brainers for, for these guys, right, Chris? Yeah, you know what? It's funny you say good news because uh, you seem to be on the uh... – Anti Frank Nilakina train all the time, but well, I yeah. just don't really get the hype for for him because he's not a very good player at this stage of his career. But he's still a young guy on a rebuilding team, so yes, picking up a six million dollar fourth year team option makes makes sense. Yes, I, I love it for all the players. I have no problem with any of that. Um, so um, on to Dion Waiters. Uh, Dion Waiters got um, he's act, he's been acting out a little bit this this season, and I think that'll be a situation to monitor. Because um, who knows, he may be one of those players that gets shipped out um, this year somehow. I mean, they would love to ship him out, I would guess. I, I, it seems like they've been trying to trade him since like Christmas, and he's making $12 million this year. He's making $12 million next year. We're around there, 11 $12 million bucks. And it seems like he's going to lose his starting job to Tyler Hero, who has really emerged as a good-time player 
in the preseason. And look, it's the preseason, you never know. But as of right now, I think Tyler Hero is the better player. And, you know, somebody said that to Dean Waiters. He didn't like that. And uh, he also said something about how he could have won a championship as Eric Spolstra if he had LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. So they suspended him for, for contact de- con- conduct detrimental to the team. He's suspended a full game, and uh, we'll see if he can pick up his attitude uh, when he returns. Yeah, we'll have to see about that. Well, that being said, uh, thank you, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll get you an episode in the next few days to to recap a lot of the first few games of the NBA season. Um, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And once again, thank you for listening to us. Chris, it's our last show without NBA basketball. How cool is that? I'm so happy about that. Yes, it's going to be great. Plenty of content to discuss. We'll be back in a few days. All right. See you guys. We'll be right back.